Welcome to Talking Industrial Automation, presented by The Reynolds Company, an authorized distributor for Rockwell Automation. This show features conversations with the automation specialists from The Reynolds Company, explaining the evolving landscape of products, services, and solutions for industrial controls and automation. Now, on with today's episode. Welcome back to the Talking Industrial Automation Podcast from the Reynolds Company, an authorized Rockwell Automation Distributor. I am Wayne Welk, your host for this episode. Today, Brandon Singh and Joe Belaski return to the podcast as we present part four in our industrial networking series, something we'll call the IT episode. So far in our previous episodes, we have covered physical media, access switches, and networking topologies. And over the next several episodes, we will continue to have topics on industrial networking and the converged plant-wide Ethernet, or CPWE. Be sure to check out the show notes for any useful links about the topics we will discuss in this episode. And also check out our series of industrial networking webinars. Recent seminars are posted to our YouTube channel. A link will be provided in the show notes. Now, let's welcome back Brandon and Joe to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Joe Belaski and Brandon Singh. Welcome back, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Hello. You've been a guest previously for our last two episodes on uh, access switches and on network topologies. So today, our thought was to try to demystify some of the IT terminology that we see used a lot that's made its way down to the to the plant floor or into the OT or operational technology space. And some of these things might seem like common sense to some extent, like an IP address. But then again, a lot of times we don't really understand what those things really are, right? So we wanted to kind of take some time to discuss those. So Brandon, let's start with what's the difference between a MAC address and an IP address? That's a pretty common concept, perhaps, that uh, gets confused. It is. So start with MAC address. So a MAC address is the permanent physical address of a device. Every device has its own unique MAC address whether it be cell phone, laptop, IP camera, IP phone, they each have their own individual MAC address that comes from the manufacturer. That number cannot be changed or altered. And each manufacturer has their own preface or starting out number. The first portion of it is identical to each manufacturer and unique to each manufacturer. So you can say, all right, this is a Dell laptop. And then the ending portion of it is unique to specifically one laptop, one laptop only. And an IP address or internet protocol address is an address that is given to a particular device, laptop, camera, phone, whatever can connect to the interwebs or the internet, specifically to say, this is your address to be accessing the internet. This is the address that you are going to use while you are connected to the internet. And it, and it can be changed. So every time you connect to the internet, you can have a different address or a different internet protocol address or IP address. Whereas anytime you turn on or turn off your laptop or cell phone, that is the physical MAC address. Let's say you break a phone, crack a screen, phone no longer works. You give it to somebody and they sell you and you they refurbish it to resell it somewhere else. The MAC address, even though that phone's been refurbished, is going to be the same MAC address it was when it was sold new. We hear a lot about IP6 as well, um, especially when we talk about IoT or Internet of Things technology or discussions. So what is IP6 versus the traditional IP address or IP4 that we use on the plant floor? IP6 
or traditionally uh, referred to as IP protocol version 6, IPv6 was created a decade to 15 years ago once everything started being connected to the internet and the world wide web. So once we started getting phones, cell phones, and then desk phones, IP phones, cameras, uh, laptops, tablets, netbooks, when everything started connecting and you have the IoT, the internet of things, that's when that was created because there is a finite number of IPv4 addresses, IP4 addresses, which are traditional addresses that start with a 10.10 network or 172 network or 192 network. Those are addresses people are familiar with seeing as firms an IP address. There is a finite number of those addresses. Those addresses will run out. Universities like Purdue University and Cambridge University, they came together and they're like, hey, in theory, going to run out of addresses to hand out while things are connected to the internet. We need to look at creating something that's better. And that's where IP6 came from. It is structured completely different, whereas a traditional IPv4 address is a octet of four. IP6 is an octet of eight. And whereas an IP4 address is all numbers in some arranged fashion, IP6 can have letters and numbers included, depending on how they want to string those characters together. And the reason, again, why it was done is because there are so many things that are now capable of connecting to the Internet. We needed to make sure we had enough addressing so everything can be connected at one time and there we wouldn't run out. Those All those connected things that we uh, that they were always talking about, like what, like, 20 million connected things or whatever it was by 2020 or some correct some number like that correct so in advance of those things they put this in place to make sure that we wouldn't run out of addresses and it's theoretically proven it hasn't been done but it's been theoretically proven that ip6 cannot run out of addresses there's an infinite number of addresses if everything on the planet globally right now that could be connected when you figure we have seven billion people on the planet i would say 70 percent of them have an internet capable cell phone if you're in a in a functioning country that has that you know infrastructure in place i'm pretty sure you have a cell phone that connect so we're talking four and a half five billion cell phones with those people, plus you figure in laptops, you know, we're, you know, in the hundreds of billions of devices, there's that many IP6 addresses to where all of them can be connected at one time. But we're still pretty much IP4 for the plant for today. We haven't transitioned over to IPv6 yet, or will we Correct. ever? In my opinion, I won't see it while I'm working on the plant floor. That's not to say it can't happen or won't happen. But in my opinion, I don't, I don't see it happening because you have things that were also... At the same time, IPv, IP6 was put in place, IP4, we're, you know, we have public and private addresses. We have network address translations and public address translations, that different configuration settings and different things that are in place to eliminate the need for the need to run out of addresses. So in an instance, a lot of people are familiar with the 192.168.something address. That is considered a private address. It can be used. My laptop probably running one right now, and I would put a I'd put a wager on yours running one as well. I have a pretty strong uh, suspicion that it is. We may have the exact same IP address, even though we're in two different locations, and that's because it's a private address. So I could be running that address in my home. You could be running it in your home and have identical addresses, but it's because it's considered private and behind our network address translation, the home routers or home firewalls. That's where that can help. That kind of leads into 
DHCP and what do we see on the plant for? I mean, we typically do static IP addressing, but do will we want to use dynamic or a DHCP defined addresses? And perhaps ex- explain the difference between the two, Joe, and what is DHCP? Uh, DHCP, dynamic host control protocol, basically allows you to dynamically assign IP addresses to devices. And basically that means that you have a switch, a server, some some sort of a device on the network that is assigning IP addresses to things that connect to the network. And that's very useful on the enterprise side of a network or in your house or something like that, where you just want something to work. You connect to the network and you want it to be able to talk. With part of that, it it will assign an IP address to you. It assigns a default gateway, other parts of the addresses. And basically it allows you to connect right out of the box reason we don't typically see that so much on the plant floor is we have a lot of similar devices. We typically do control based off of the IP address. And if you had two drives that are basically the same, and one of them is running one function within your plant and another one's running a different function, you wouldn't want a power cycle to come through and basically cause the drives to come up with the opposite addresses. So basically each drive getting the address of what the other one was and then the system thinking they are something that they're not. So a lot of times we'll use static IPs in in those applications where we go out to the individual devices, assign an IP address to it manually so that it always knows what it is and that overrides DHCP. We also have the capability of doing DHCP persistence with some of our devices, some of our switches, which basically allows an individual port to, to always push out the same address to the device connected to it, which simplifies some of the repair time processes. So if you ever replace a device, like a drive or something like that, you can have the DHCP persistence assign the same address to the new drive so that the system knows what it is and can take off running without having to manually go in and configure that IP address. So typically like a drive or like an Ethernet card, like a control object Ethernet card, like DHCP would be enabled initially out the box. Is that how that would work? Uh, some of them, yes. They're enabled initially out of the box. And typically they're set up to be able to grab that address and run with it. And that simplifies your restart times, uh, speeds up the process. Uh, there, there will be a few devices out there that don't support DHCP that are industrial devices, which force you to go in and manually set the IP address. So another kind of on the topic of IP addresses, you know, common thing is we go in, we set, if we do set static IP addresses, we go in and we, we type in the IP address and there's always a subnet mask is the, usually the next thing down, right? So um, what is a subnet or a subnet mask and why do we need to define that? A subnet mask or subnet basically is dictating which part of the IP address is allowed to change. And so when you have a subnet mask, which are most standard ones are uh, 255, 255, 255, 255.0. And typically you see those on address ranges like we were talking about a second ago, 192.168.1.whatever. And basically what that means is those first pieces need to be the same. The 192.168.1 need to be the same for you to be able to talk locally. If that part is different, then the system knows that you're trying to talk externally. So The easiest way to kind of wrap your head around that is to think about you're in a hotel and somebody says, hey, go to room 25. Well, you already know that implicit within what you're doing, you know that the address is the same. You're on the same city block. You're in the same town. You're in the same zip code. I don't need to leave the building. And basically the subnet mask does that for you. It allows you to know that, hey, everything I'm looking with working on is local. And then so you just go directly to the other place that you're trying to talk to. 
And if something was outside of the subnet mask, you'd know like, hey, I need to actually leave the building. I need to go someplace else to get to the place that I'm going to. So that's actually a good transition for stuff like default gateway, which typically comes in through DHCP as well. And it allows you to understand how to leave the building. You know, you go out the front door, you don't jump out the window. Right. So Brandon, do we need to set the gateway address? You know, it's another, the, the, the next line down underneath the subnet is typically a gateway. Is that an important set point for us uh, on the plant floor to worry about? It is and it isn't. It, it's going to be different from each plant. And what I mean by that is your default gateway is generally associated with having a wireless network in your facility and on your plant floor. So if you have an industrial wireless network, then yes, your default gateway is very important because your default gateway is generally associated to where you're getting your IP address from if you're connecting to the wireless network. So it knows, okay, this is my default gateway. This is where my IP address comes from. If I need to send information to anything, it goes through that default gateway. And it would be, it's important if you're running a wireless network. So if you're connecting something in the plant, but it's going to be on the local area network, the LAN in the plant, then the default gateway is not as important. Not to say that it doesn't have one, but it's generally going to be a dot one or a dot uh, 254 at the end of the IP address on the same uh, subnet. Whereas if you have a specific default gateway for the wireless network, it might be a little different because it needs to know where I'm looking at if I need to communicate anywhere else in the plant. That's the location I need to go through because that's my default. So, Joe, we see in the CPWE documentation and a lot of presentations that we sit in with Rockwell on networking, there's always a lot of talk about segmentation of the network. So maybe explain why segmentation is useful for us, and I guess that might also lead into what a VLAN is or a virtual LAN, maybe describe what a virtual LAN is. Why would that be important for us to use? Uh, virtual LAN, virtual local area network, basically is a segmentation where you can actually break into individual ports out on a switch and have them talk to other ports on a different switch even, effectively creating your own isolated network where you can actually share hardware, but Half of the hardware could be designated as one part of one network, and the other half of the hardware could be for a different network. Uh, the typical reason that we look at segmentation, and for people like myself that have played on the OT side and have run into a few issues in the past, is we typically either run out of addresses or the network starts getting full and we start having some packet loss issues and instability issues and things like that. And so we look at, oh, well, we need to figure out how to segment this logically to make this work for everybody that is starting on a new system or looking at it from an architectural standpoint when they're designing a new system. It's a a similar thing. It's architecting the network so that you have it designed in, in a way that the things that need to talk to each other can do so very quickly, very easily and directly, where the devices that don't typically need to talk to each other are not burdened with that communication. And so a virtual LAN basically allows you to break those pieces apart so you can have, say, one machine in your plant, even though it may use multiple different switches and and spread across the, the network. All of those devices can talk to each other and they're all on a similar address range. And you can have another machine on your plant network that is in a different address range on a different VLAN. And basically the two don't talk to each other without going up through some sort of a router so that you can limit the amount of communication and wasted communication between the two. 
the general premise on that is basically limiting the amount of packets or information that's coming to a port so that you're not seeing all the stuff that you don't need. Easiest way to think about that is if you have 20 people standing in a room and you want to have everybody talk, you give everybody a megaphone and say, go for it. And so you have, you know, 10 different conversations with megaphones and no one understands anything that's going on. Well, if you uh, VLAN that off and put a divider down the middle of the room, at least you're only dealing with five conversations. Now, that's more of a an analogy for, let's say, broadcast or multicast network. We uh, allow for different types of management of data and management of packets so that we don't over don't really flood the network with data that's not needed. VLANs are a great way to make that happen, a great way to manage that segmentation, and it limits the requirement for a lot of extra hardware. If I could add to that an analogy, as far as the VLANs, if you're, let's just say you're a baggage handling company or you're a bagging company and you go to your OEM and you request a machine for line one, and then you want to expand and you're adding in a line two and you go to the same OEM, odds are that OEM has saved your previous work and has assigned that machine an IP address and everything within it, the different IP addresses, and it's shipping you the second one the exact same way. If you were to put that into your network without creating the VLAN for the new machine to run on, you'd have some serious issues because both machines would be running on the same IP address. So by isolating it or segmenting it or, and putting it on its own virtual LAN to where you can still see it from your office, the machines don't talk to one another and they can be set up the, identically to where the IP address is still the same. So it's an easy thing for you if, as a, in this scenario where I'm a bagging person, material handling, I have multiple lines, all my lines have been bought by the same OEM, but all the IP addresses are the same. But the machines don't know that because they're on their each individual network. This is actually one of the reasons that uh, IPv4 is going to be around for quite a while. Is it really is an enabling technology to allow this type of modularization to be used. So, Brandon, you're, you're an IT guy, right? I am. So perhaps you could explain to us OT people, what is the seven-layer OSI model and, and why is that important for us on the plant floor? So the OSI model, seven layers, extremely important. But let me just explain what the OSI model is. I remember it by a username I used in college. All people studying this need daily prayer. That's not what it actually stands for. What it actually means, it's the seven, that's just an analogy to remember the seven layers. And so it actually goes from the bottom up. So layer one would be your physical layer. Layer two would be your data link layer. Layer three would be your network layer. Layer four is your transport layer. Layer five is your session or section layer. Layer six is your presentation. And layer seven is your application layer. Where this actually is, is when we're talking about a controller sending and receiving tags and then sending that packet of information on to the historian or wherever, how that tag is actually set up in the controller to be sent is using the OSI model. Layer 7 is the application layer, so depending on what you have running in your network, that's defined in your Layer 7, and then that's how it builds the packet down to all the way down to layer one, which is your physical layer, which would be your media, uh, which we've had a topic on already. So that would be your media, and then that's how the data is transferred. Another way to look at the OSI model is everyone in the OT space is pretty familiar with a Purdue model. They've seen it. They know what it is. So to get from level zero on your Purdue model 
two layer three in the Purdue model where you're a historian or something and your servers are going to live, that data transfer from zero to layer three is all encompassed and accomplished by the OSI model. So it's not something someone in a true in an OT space needs to be intricately familiar with and know the nuts and bolts on how it actually works for that tag to be actually built and processed and sent. But just understand for that tag to be built, processed, and sent, it's all happening going through the OSI model. And what are some common Ethernet protocols? that we see on the plant floor? And where do those protocols fit in that OSI model? Uh, so the protocols on the, whether it's industrial plant floor or traditional enterprise, other protocols live in the seventh layer of the OSI model, which is the application layer. So a lot of your protocols that we see on the plant floor are going to be Modbus RTU, Profinet, Ethernet IP, Ethernet TCP IP, Modbus TCP IP, VoIP phones, your voice over IP phones, IP cameras, those are all the different protocols that you'll see on a plant floor. All of those protocols are set up and managed on layer seven of the OSI model. So that is, even though it's layer seven, it's the top layer, that's the fun, you know, a important piece because how the packet and everything is set up and transferred so that tag can be sent, it starts there with what protocol am I going to be using to be sending this transformation? Well, I think we're only scratching the surface of IT here, these topics, but these are some of the most common things I think perhaps that our operational technology listeners would probably be most interested in or maybe don't have the best understanding of how some of these things work. So I want to thank Joe and Brandon again for joining us today for this episode. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Reynolds Company Industrial Automation Podcast. For support, please see our website, reynoldsonline.com. For those of you who are outside of our area, which is a large part of Texas and southern Louisiana, please visit rockwellautomation.com and you can find your authorized local distributor there. Thank you again, and we will see you next week for part five in our ongoing networking series.